morning, everybody. Happy 2023 to each and every one of you. I don't know if you were here last week. I wasn't here last week, um, but uh, I haven't had the chance to say it. So happy 2023. Honestly, I hope yours began a little bit better than mine did. Um, this past week, Tracy's been sick now literally for over a month. Uh, both of my cars were in the shop while I was on vacation, and then we came home to a water heater that had broken down. And so welcome to 2023. Now, on the plus side, I have to say, we were down in Florida, and it was about 78 degrees every day we were there. And unlike some others, our travel to and from Florida was absolutely flawless. And so we are excited about some of those things, and we're grateful and thankful for that. But to be honest with you, I almost forgot 2023 was happening. I don't know if this happened to any of the rest of you, but you may know that last week Saturday, not yesterday, but the week before Saturday, was a pretty eventful day in the state of Michigan because on New Year's Eve day, Michigan was playing TCU in the college football playoffs, right? I remember actually saying about halfway through the game, I'm like, oh, Trace, is it New Year's Eve? Like, I had completely forgotten about any of that. And as I was watching this game, and if you missed it, I mean, this game was crazy. There were so many huge plays. It was the second highest scoring game in bowl history, I believe, in college bowl history. And I mean, it was just nuts. And I remember watching this game and thinking to myself, you know, when I was younger, maybe this was the same with, with you, remember when you were younger and you used to look up to these athletes and think maybe like, hey, maybe one day I could be like them? You know, Tiger Woods was always like four years older than me. I, I think he's still four years older than I am. But you know, when I'm in my early 20s, it, it, you, know, you know, like there's that span of time where I'm like, well, yeah, he's won like seven majors, but if I just really dedicated the next four years of my life, I could be like him. I think that time has passed. But now I watch, and do any of the rest of you watch this and look and think like, the kids playing this game are like 19 and 20 years old. Isn't that nuts? I mean, I try and think to myself, how do they handle this? I mean, they've got tens of thousands of screaming fans around them. They've got millions other watching uh, on television and streaming and all those different things. They have the hopes of the rest of their team, the hopes of their school, the hopes of their state all riding on their shoulders. How is it that these sidelines aren't filled with these young people like breathing into paper bags, just trying to hold it all together? I don't know how they do it. I mean, I don't talk to that many people every week, and I'm still, you see me before services, I'm running back and forth. And then at the beginning of the game, I noticed this picture came on the screen. I don't know how well you can see that, but, but if you notice by the goalpost, that's J.J. McCarthy, the quarterback from Michigan, just before the game. And he's got headphones on, but they're not to play music. Rather, they're to deaden out all the noise around him. You see, J.J. McCarthy is a devout student of meditation. And each and every day, this 19-year-old student athlete where everything he does, his whole future rides on decisions that he has to make usually in under three seconds. How does he do it? And he does it because he begins each and every day with 30 minutes 
of meditation. And then before each and every game, he does the same thing. He sits with his back up against the goalpost and he centers himself. And he's just quiet and he tries, he says when he does so, everything just slows down just a little bit. And so as I found myself wondering, like, how on earth do these students do this? I came to realize, like, oh, maybe that's how we do it. Maybe it's, it's because of this practice that he is able to do all of the other things he does. One of his, his mentors, who's actually the director of meditation and training at Wisconsin, Chad McGee, says no athlete would ever take the field of competition without training their body, yet all the time they take the field of competition without training their mind. They just kind of hope that it works out. Yeah, yeah, but McCarthy's a step, well, I mean, they lost, but still, I mean, he's a remarkable, remarkable dude. Now, it got me thinking, too, because, again, it's the beginning of a new year, and I hope that you had the opportunity to read it, but I wrote a little year-end letter to the congregation. There's hard copies of it back at the information desk. You can get it in the e-news. You can get it on our website or online, which are two of the same things, I realize. But in that letter, I, I, I've had this notion in my mind for a little while now, this, this phrase that, that keeps coming to me, and I use this illustration of PFG, this performance fishing year, but when I see or hear PFG, I feel like I hear the Lord saying, poised for growth. And, and when I look out at, at Christ Memorial Church, not only just all of us collectively together, but each of us too as individuals, I believe that this is a place, this is a body of Christ that is poised for growth. We have so many incredibly talented and gifted people, so many people dedicated to this Christian walk. And it's just, and God's spirit, I believe, is just ready to be unleashed in this place. And what I don't want us to do is think that we've got all these pieces in place and so we can just go out onto the field having trained our bodies. I believe initially what all of us, each of us have to do if we haven't done so already is prepare our minds. There's this book called The U-Turn Church. You've probably heard of Bob Bauer. He's the pastor of Faith Church in Dyer, Indiana. You may have even heard from time to time of Kevin Harney, who's the pastor of a, a church out in California, but originally he was in Byron Center. And, and both of these individuals transformed churches that were eh, small-ish churches into just powerhouses of, of transforming lives for Christ. And Bob Bauer in this book says, churches that God renews are churches that have a grass roots movement of prayer. There are individuals, there are collective bodies, there are people praying all the time. It's preparing our minds and our hearts for what God is up to in this world. And so as we begin 2023, we're beginning with a series called The Language of the Soul. And we're going to talk about prayer because I think a lot of us do pray. There's a lot of people who don't know how to pray. They actually say that. And I think, well, how can that possibly be? And there are some people who say, I pray all the time, but it just doesn't seem to be terribly effective. And so what is the deal? And so I, I recognize that Paul writes of it this way. He says, in the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes for us through wordless groans. Friends, there is something 
within us. There is a, a natural language of our soul that longs to be let out, that longs to commune with the God who made us. It says in Genesis that when God formed the man of the dust of the earth, God actually breathed into him the breath of life. And so we share this very divine breath and there's always constantly this yearning to be back at one with our Lord. And so that's why he sends us the spirit to intercede for us. And so the question that I have for us today is what does that look like? What does it look like for, for us to engage in some of these things? And I just wanted to start with a few quotes from some of the, the masters, right? Um, Martin Luther says this, I am so busy now that if I did not spend three hours each day in prayer, I could not get through the day. I was like 40 minutes of meditation is a long time, JJ. But Martin Luther, if I am so busy right now that if I don't spend three hours a day, I won't get through the day. R.A. Torrey says this, we are too busy to pray and so we are too busy to have power. We have a great deal of activity, but we accomplish little. Many services, but few conversions. Much machinery, but few results. I'm reminded of that passage where Jesus talks about the vine and the branches. He says, you have to abide or remain in me. Everything in the scripture begins at a place of rest, and that is a place of work. And then my favorite, this is, just, this is Mother Teresa in a nutshell, right? If you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. But how? How is the question for us this morning? And so as we go through this series, I just want to be totally transparent and honest with you. One of the things that we're working through is we're working through this book called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People by Pete Grieg. Now, Pete Grieg is the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement, which is international. It's worldwide. It's doing transformative work. He also is one of the founders of the app for your phone called Lectio 365. If you do not have this, you should get that app on your phone, Lectio 365. There are morning prayers prayers and there are evening prayers that just guides you through the whole process. If you need a new way or a new avenue to connect with God, that's what it is. But he's the one who came up with these, this acronym that we're going to be using over the next four weeks. Today is pause and then next week is rejoice and then ask and then yield. So you can get the book. I'm not going to talk about things in the book, but I'm using this sort of as our framework. And so today we're going to talk about this idea of pause, and we're going to do so from Psalm chapter 3. If you've got a Bible, you can just look through this. But to be real honest with you, it's a little bit less about what's in the psalm, and it's a little bit more about what's not in there. And so follow along if you have a Bible. It begins this way. It says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? How many are, or many are saying of me, God will not deliver him? Now, if you have a Bible open, you might see a little footnote in here that says a psalm of David when he fled his son Absalom. And so for David, this is a very real and a very literal prayer or cry out to God. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. And so that's a very real thing. He's like, there are actually people chasing after me. But you know, in our world, it's maybe not as literal, but it's certainly equally figuratively appropriate. How many demands do we have on our time? How many things when we sit down to pray are our minds just absolutely scattered and they run in all kinds of different directions? How many of us are, are, are just overwhelmed by the anxieties of all the different things that we have to do? Or... 
or how many of us are overwhelmed by all the different voices that we have inside of our heads? How many of us truly feel like, Lord, how many are our foes? And maybe it's not just about us. Maybe it's about as we look out at this world and we say, God, what is happening in our culture? What is happening to our children, our grandchildren? What is happening to our parents? What is happening with disease? What is happening with all this? Oh, Lord, how many are our foes? This is a very real prayer. He goes on and he says this, but you, but you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers from his holy mountain. I love this passage. I lie down and I sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands. I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. That's probably figurative, by the way, because he loved his son. Okay, well, but I'm serious. Like, we get in violence and, like, break the teeth of the wicked. Well, okay. Um, From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Now, how many of you are super familiar with the psalm? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. How many of you maybe noticed in there what wasn't there? There was something missing. Does anybody, does anybody have anything in their Bible that was there that I didn't have up on the screen? All right. I don't really know how I expect you to respond. But, but if you did, if you noticed something in there, there's something that is a footnote at the end of the second verse. And it says something down at the bottom of the page. In mine it says this. The Hebrew has selah. A word of uncertain meaning here, and at the end of verse 4, and at the end of verse 8. And so what you should read is this, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head highs. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. Selah. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though 10,000 assail me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Selah. Now, Selah, it actually says in my Bible a word of uncertain meaning. It actually is. People don't actually know what this means. It's a transliteration of this Hebrew, and it's just translated S-L-H, say la. Now, some people think that this is a, a, a pause for musicians because psalms were meant to be sung, and this was something maybe for the choir that marked a transition. Other believe it is a word of praise or exaltation or, or an honor to God. Others believe that it's simply a moment to stop and reflect. Others say, we don't know what it means, which may actually be the best translation of all. You see, as you walk through the psalm, you notice there is a transition in the psalmist's speaking, in the psalmist's prayer. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying, God will not deliver them. Selah. Ah, but the Lord is my shield. The Lord is the one who protects me. The Lord comes around me. I I lie down and sleep. I arise because the Lord sustains me. Selah. 
It's as though there's a, a pause that allows for a transition in either thought or feeling or language to take place. And this is the invitation that greed gives us at the beginning of our times of prayer. Instead of sitting down and just jumping into it and, and sort of word bombing, saying all these different things, the invitation is to sit in quiet, to sit in silence and to contemplate the presence of God. Blaise Pascal said this once, I have often said that the sole cause of man's unhappiness is that he does not know how to sit quietly in his room. That's a guy from the 17th century. Imagine now, right? Can I read a little bit larger section? This is from Pascal's Ponce's. You should actually get this. I'll send it to you if you email me. Just listen to this for a moment. It's gonna take a minute. He says this, we never keep to the present. We recall the past, we anticipate the future as if we found it too slow in coming and we're trying to hurry it up or we recall the past as if to stay it's too rapid flight. We are so unwise that we wander around in times that do not belong to us, the past or the present, and we, or the past or the future, and we do not think of the only one that does. So vain that we dream of times that are not and blindly flee the only one that is. The fact is, the present usually hurts. And so we thrust it out of sight because it distresses us. And if we find it enjoyable, then we're sorry to see it slip away. We try to give it the support of the future and think of how we're going to arrange things over which we have no control for a time we can never be sure of reaching. Let each of us examine his own thoughts. He will find them either wholly concerned with the past or the future. We almost never think of the present. And if we do think of it, it is only to see what light it throws on our plans for the future. The present is never our end. The past and the present are our means. The future alone our end. Ready? Thus, we never actually live, but hope to live. And since we are always planning how to be happy, it is inevitable that we should never be so. Man. Yowza. You guys should read the Ponce's. They're brilliant. But Pascal makes this known and he says, you want to know what? We, the sole cause of our unhappiness is we do not know how to stay in the present. We are always thinking of the future. We're thinking of the past and the present as means to the future. Or we're trying to like remember this past. We're trying to hold on to this thing. We're planning all sorts of things that we have no control over. And since we're always planning how to live or how to be happy, it's inevitable that will never be so. And so as we begin this series on prayer, as we begin moving toward what I believe is a, not, it's not one year, it's multiple years poised for growth, I want to talk to you about how we begin our prayers. I don't know how many of you have been in prayer meetings before, but I've been in a lot of prayer meetings, and it's always like if there's silence at the beginning for more than like 10 seconds, do you start getting antsy? Do you start getting a little nervous? I thought about starting the sermon, Tracy told me I should, of just standing up here for like three minutes. Yeah, that would freak us out, right? 
because we're not ready for that, but we need to be poised for that. If meditation, 40 minutes a day, allows J.J. McCarthy to make split-second decisions that will affect the rest of his life, how much more important is it for you and I to stay in the present so that we can, as we just heard, walking in the garden alone, so that we can hear what God is saying to us? Because we can have plans for the future, but God's plans are probably different and probably better than ours. Two things. Powerful prayer begins with a powerless posture. All right? Powerful prayer, and I know I spelled that wrong. Get over it. (laughs) Begins with a powerless posture. One of the quotes that Grieg brings out is a quote from Eugene Peterson who says this, life's basic decision is rarely, if ever, whether to believe in God or not. Rather, it's but whether to worship or compete with him. Right? So again, as I I look at my prayers, right? Like I'm gonna jump into this thing and I'm like, God, I need this and God, I need this and God, I need this and God, thanks for that. And thanks for, you know, us having great flights, but I'm kind of mad at you about the water heater and the cars and things of that nature. But you see what being present does at the beginning is allows us to just sort of rest, to sort of selah, to invite God into this very moment, although God's really already there. God's really just inviting us into that moment to sit and to be with the Lord so that the Spirit can do its work of of starting to speak in us through groanings, through this language of the soul that we don't even recognize, but slowly but surely as we engage in this time of just being present, we find that all of a sudden we can allow ourselves not to be competing with God, but rather worshiping and adoring. I thought of the perfect illustration for this of like, you know, being really anxious and how you breathe into a bag. How many of you are familiar with breathing? Yeah, I read you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, <laughs> totally don't do that. <laughs> but I thought of it as like, you know, if you breathe into the bag and stuff like that, what it does is calms you down and brings you more carbon dioxide back in your system because you're over-oxygenated, blah, blah, blah. But it says, actually, don't do that. And so then I thought, oh, well, the perfect illustration then is Selah, pausing, is like the brown bag, but without all the side effects. But you know what? I think that's wrong too. Because I don't think this time of pause, and I don't think this time of prayer is to make us comfortable, is to avoid any sort of side effects or anything like that. The time of pause is to transform our prayer from telling God what we want and what we need, as important as that is, and we'll get to that, but it's to be resting in the present and trying to hear, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then you're gonna be like, I'm sorry, you want me to do what? But that's what being in the present means. So let me just guide you through this process because maybe you're like me and if you get to a time of prayer, you want to have that paper bag next to you because like any time of silence, you just freak out. Or, or, or honestly, uh, on Friday when I got back from vacation, Friday morning, I timed it. It took me 48 minutes to get into the present, to stop my mind from racing, all the things that happened while I was gone, all the things I got to take care of before this weekend. It took me 48 minutes just to be quiet when I was in seminary, I took a class and at the beginning of every prayer time, there was 15 minutes of this exercise and so I want to offer it to you. As we go into the season of prayer and reflection, it's very simple. Are you ready? 
there's this passage that says, be still and know that I am God. Now, if you look back on, on Psalm 3, you see, oh Lord, how many are my foes? How many are rising up against me? Many are saying that, they, you know, that you're not gonna deliver me. It's like, eh. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, Selah. Oh, but you, you, oh Lord, are my shield. There's this transition from ah to okay. And so as you go through this time of reflection prior to your prayer, it goes like this. You say, be still and know that I am God. Then you just pause and you wait and all sorts of thoughts and crazy things and anxieties and worries are gonna come into your mind and you don't try to avoid it, you just acknowledge like, oh, okay, yes, I do need to do that later. Yes, I should call that person. Yes, I should write that card. Then after a couple minutes, say it again, be still and know that I am and then just stop there. And then there are gonna be more things that rush into your mind and go crazy and then, nope, 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 that's fine, that's fine and then you just pause again. Be still and know. By that time, there's fewer things coming into your mind. There's fewer distractions, but you acknowledge them and you say, okay, the Lord will remind me of that. And then you say, be still. And this works eventually. And then finally, you just say, be. Because Selah is a word that either means exalt God and the way we can do that is by being in this present, or it means stop and think, which the way we do that is just being in this present moment. But it's a way of entering into prayer, of acknowledging, like, God, I do have a ton of things that I need to talk to you about. But the first thing I'm going to remember is where I am, at what time I'm at. I am in the present, and my soul says, be still and know that you are God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still and then be. Let's pray. Lord, I'm reminded as we gather here that word of Jacob that surely God was in this place and I didn't know it. Sometimes, Lord, we come in with all sorts of expectations, all sorts of anticipation, all sorts of hopes and dreams of how we would like the morning to go, maybe the people we'd like to see, the things we'd like to catch up on, the scripture, the word that we'd love to, to have, receive and recharge our batteries. But this morning, Lord, we just want to rest in this moment, acknowledging that you are here. And perhaps we didn't know it. In each and every moment of your life, in each and every moment of our lives, Lord, you are here and you are present. You may not be in the storm. You may be in just a still, small whisper. And so, Lord, I pray that as we begin this new year, we do so with a new habit, a new commitment to prayer, Maybe, maybe you would remind us, Lord, as we wake up and as we already start our anxieties of the day to, to just maybe sit for a few minutes and repeat to ourselves these wonderful words of Scripture, be still and know that I am God. We are not here to compete with you, Lord. We are here to worship you. 
Thank you for the gift of your spirit who intercedes for us when we know not how to pray with groanings and the language of our soul. In Jesus' name, amen.